Well, it looks like you all hated me so much that you've given me this award for it. That it can be about the performance and not the politics. This moment is so much bigger than me. And I can't deny the fact that you like me right now. You like me. And thank all of you who voted for me and all of you who didn't, please excuse me. I deserve this, thank you. Hello and welcome back to Academy Queens. God is good. He has sent me a strong man. I'm Brandon Stanwyck. And Joey Gentile has no opening today. And there's a reason why. This is Joey Gentile. Would you like to give us your reason now? I fucking hate everybody, all 10 nominees, so badly. I've never fucking hated both lineups so goddamn much. And I am so pissed that this one on Patreon, what is worse, what is absolute worst part about this was that this was one of my choices to give everyone to vote on. And I only wanted really this to win to talk about how horrible Tom Jones is, not realizing how fucking awful this whole year was. Oh my God, fuck this year. So bad. Was Tom Jones the only one you had seen prior to this winning? Yes. Okay. Oh my God. I have never had a, a moment this whole show. Bonus episodes, regular season, where I have literally hated every, all 10 nominees. Mm. I have a feeling this is why uh, this year won on Patreon. I think the our kind patrons wanted you to have a meltdown on, on microphone. Mother is not doing okay. No. No. Not at all. How are you, though? <laughs> I'm all right. I've got my English breakfast tea next to me, and I'm ready to go. English breakfast to match a couple of our movies we have here today. Dude, this is holy English imports. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Uh, well, at least you guys know that you'll be getting a lot of dramatics from me. Yes. Excessive How dramatics. <laughs> Over the top. How did you feel about this year as a whole? Um, I don't entirely disagree with you. Um, I don't care for it. I think of all the episodes we've done on the 60s, this is by far my least favorite. Um, there are some things, some compliments I will have for some nominees going forward. But on the whole, I would say this is a pretty weak year, 1963. Yeah, yeah. I, I honestly, thus far, out of everything we've done, would say this is the worst year of the Academy. I mean, there could be worse we, that we haven't touched yet, but, like, this is really bad. All I wanted to do was talk shit about Tom Jones, and instead I got tortured with a full, a full year of shit. Mm-hmm. But... I digress until we get to the nominees. But speaking of, shall we? Sure. All right. So this year's nominees of Supporting Ladies were... Lelia Scala in Lilies of the Field for her portrayal of the strong-willed nun. 
Edith Evans in Tom Jones for her portrayal of the squire's sister, Miss Webster. Diane Cilento in Tom Jones for her portrayal of the flirting country wench. in Tom Jones for her portrayal of the might-have-been mother. And the bewildered traveler of the VIPs, Miss Margaret Rutherford. Let's start off with this year's winner, Margaret Rutherford, as the Duchess of Brighton in the VIPs. This is her sole nomination before she died a few years later. She wins Golden Globe and the National Board of Review for Best Supporting. In the VIPs, Margaret Rutherford does something. She is a Duchess of Brighton who isn't very bright and books a TV show to shoot at her castle. That's literally all she does. Uh, Brandon, what do you think? So the VIPs is a pretty lackluster and boring and largely not very funny movie. Um, If I had to pick my favorite thing about it, I would say it is probably Margaret Rutherford. But um, she's crossing a pretty low bar, in my opinion. Um, She is delightful in the way that I needed while watching this movie. Um, This movie drags for me, and there wasn't a whole lot that engaged me, but I did find myself smiling whenever she's on screen because she is pretty ridiculous. And um, it's a scene-stealing part. Uh, It's a pretty uh, over-the-top part um, at times. And I think it is candy to a certain group of character actresses of a certain age. If this movie were made today, Margot Martindale would tear this role up. She would be amazing in this role, as would say Anne Dowd, um, since those two seem to get lumped together all the time. Why not here? Uh, But she's funny. um, But again, that's not saying a whole lot because I think the movie... uh, is really kind of weak as a whole. How do you feel about Margaret Rutherford? I don't know what she does here. Um, she's got a few one-liners, but there's not. She, she's not given anything to do. I mean, the VIPs, I didn't expect it to be this bad. I mean, I've heard it's pretty bad, but like the way it was described on Amazon, because I, ha- I can't believe I wasted money to watch this shit, was um, like this thriller about like, I, I kind of expected almost like a murder on the Orient Express type deal like for some reason and it was highly disappointed um the best thing about this movie is elizabeth taylor's gowns i'm gonna be that gay great gowns yeah great gowns beautiful gowns beautiful gowns but um this is just i just don't get it the thing is is like i don't get any of these nominees but this is an i don't get win at all i mean none of these could win and i i'd still say the same thing so don't let that think you know where I'm going to place her. Um, I, the most curious thing about 
this film to me is is this really what the airport in london looked like in the 60s where it was pretty much just one building with like one main area because that's fascinating to me because we all know that airports don't look like that today it was um, a simpler time very simple very simple um whatever <laughs> this is probably one of the worst wins i've ever seen in this category but again any of these ladies could win and it's going to be one of the worst wins I don't know if I would say it's one of the worst, uh, just simply because she is the thing that I liked the most about the movie. So mm. if it was going to win anywhere, it makes sense to me that it would be with uh, Margaret Rutherford. Now I'm curious, is there anyone else in this movie who you think deserves it more than her? No. I mean, I wanted to say Maggie Smith, but even Smith can't save this for me. Yeah, Maggie Smith is perfectly fine here. Um, I know he wouldn't be in the same lineup, but I also liked Orson Welles quite a bit. It seemed very um, self-aware, the performance that he was giving. Um, this was at this period in his life where he was just kind of saying, fuck it, and doing whatever, mostly for the money, so he could fund the things he actually wanted to do and also pay his um, bar tab. Uh, but yeah, I think Margaret Rutherford, if someone had to be nominated here, it makes sense that it would be her. Um, she does give some pretty nice one-liners. Um, I, I probably smiled or even chuckled at a few of them. She also has a pretty eccentric uh, face. She seems very um, in control of every single muscle in her face. So um, I don't know what the politics of the time were. I'm not sure how well-known she was, uh, film, stage, England, America. Um, so I'm not sure how much her influence as a person or how well-liked she was within the industry played a factor, but um, it is rather curious uh, that she did ultimately triumph and um, that the nomination was not her only quote unquote win. Yeah. I am curious because we kind of skipped over this and I kind of want to backtrack a little bit. Um, who do you think, let, let's play the game. Who do we think we're picking here? Because we totally skipped over that. Oh, right. Um, huh. I think, I guess for lead for you, I'm leaning towards Shirley MacLaine just for the LOLs of it all. Um, <laughs> in supporting, huh, not really sure. Maybe, maybe Edith Evans? Yeah, I guess Shirley MacLaine and Edith Evans, I don't know. Okay. Um, I would have also guessed for you Edith Evans, but I'm not sure now after hearing Margaret Rutherford. But actually, I'm going to go curveball here. I'm going to say you're going to go Joyce Redman. For some reason, I don't know. Um, lead, I'm going to say Natalie Wood. Hmm. See what you got out of there. All right. Well, moving on to, uh, I don't know how to pronounce this for the same. Lalia, Lalia, I'm going to say Lalia. Lalia Scala as Mother Maria in the Leaves of the Field. This is her sole nomination. And she goes into this for the Golden Globe nomination. Um, in the Leaves of the Field, again, uh, Lalia plays Mother Maria, who is the uh, essentially the mother superior to this group of nuns who seem to jit people out on paying them um, when they come across a very young and handsome Sidney Poitier um, and get him to build a chapel for them. Uh, what do you think about uh, Lilia in, in Lilies of the Field? Um, so Lilies of the Field is actually a movie that I don't really care for. Um, Love the historical nature of Poitiers' win here. But the movie itself is another one that kind of drags for me. For some reason, it never really grabs me. 
in the way that I expected it to. Uh, and Scala, or however you pronounce it, I'm not positive, also doesn't ever really seem to grab me in the way that sometimes a supporting player can kind of come in and shake things up and sort of change the tone a little bit. But um, to be honest, she doesn't really do that for me or do very much for me at all. Um, I'm not sure exactly. Now, I'm pretty sure she is European, so I'm not sure if that is her natural accent or if it's a, uh, a slightly altered, uh, different accent to fit the character. So I'm not sure exactly what her background is. But um, she plays the, uh, you know, the straight part pretty well. I mean, she is sort of the, uh, the stern uh, mother who keeps the boat from rocking and um, I guess is calling all the shots. But uh, she never really has a moment for me where she stands out in any way. She's um, just always kind of there doing her thing and she's doing it well, I guess. I don't necessarily have complaints about what she's doing. I just think she's perfectly all right. Yeah, um, this really comes off as weirdly like the sassy best friend role, which it's not. But then again, the other women in this movie don't have a voice really either. Um, you know, she's no mother superior in the form of like Streep and Doubt, but she's just like calling the shots and being bitchy. And there's really nothing else to this. Um, I know Scala got a Golden Globe nomination for uh, supporting actress in 77 for, I think, a film called like Red Rose or something. So it's not like this would be her only time in, in the award circuit. But um, sure, I guess. I just don't, I don't, maybe she's the best of them, but that could be a stretch. I don't know. I'm not thrilled, like I said, I'm not thrilled with any of these, and I'm trying to put into words here, but it's hard when we have a lot of nominees this year who don't really have anything to do. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I don't just want to make up words and come up with a conversation to have one. Th these are genuinely my reactions to these performances. I think Scala's fine, but she's nothing that, like, this doesn't go down as, like, one of the greatest nominees in this category ever. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, this year is pretty underwhelming. Yeah. Um, and Scala, I think, really fits that energy. Um, she doesn't save it in any way. Like, like Rutherford had moments where she made watching the VIPs feel less dreadful. Scala doesn't really do that here. Um, a lot of that... I suppose has to do with the nature of the character and just the way that it's written and the way that the character functions within the movie. But this feels like a part that could very easily have been played by literally anyone else who was capable of doing that accent and not much would have changed. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Does that make sense? Is there, I mean, do you think she's really bringing anything unique to this part other than the fact that she is of European, um, Descent? No, I don't. I really don't. Um, 
I also am not sure if she's in the right category because mm. she's only got like 10 minutes, if that less screen time than uh, Poitier, who won for lead. And she really is the lead female role. I mean, she's throughout the entire movie. Um, yeah, yeah. She's got a lot working against her here. I suppose I'm okay with her being in supporting because I find her so unmemorable. And I don't think she ever really takes the reins throughout this movie or dominate a scene. She's always just kind of there. Um, so mm-hmm. I don't know if, how much her screen time really plays into her being a true lead um, narratively. Mm-hmm. She's always just kind of there in the way that all the other nuns are kind of there. She just happens to be the, the main one. So I guess if you're playing that game of someone has to be the lead female and this woman has the most to do of the females, therefore she's the lead, then sure. Um, I know some people take that logic. But for me, it, it doesn't make sense for her to be in lead. Um, this is definitely Poitier's film. Uh, it's his story. He has more to do and he's the one with the real arc. Mm-hmm. So I'm fine with her being in supporting. I will give her this. I think her film for me was the easiest to watch. Like it was the easiest to get through without me getting bored. Um, out of you mean all the of the field. Yeah. It's I, also one of the shortest. Point. If I remember correctly, it's one of the shortest. Yeah. So I mean, Deuce and fucking Tom Jones or, or and even the, the sporting life are way too long for their, for my liking. Yeah. Lilies of the field is a sensible 94 minutes. So, mm-hmm. really like that about um, Lilies of the Field. Even though, for some reason, this movie just does not do anything for me. Not sure no. why that is. Yep, yep. All right, moving on. Mm-hmm. Finally, the whole reason why I wanted to do this episode, Tom Jones, ladies. Let's knock them out. We got three of them. Starting with Diane Salento in Tom Jones. This is her sole nomination, and she went into Oscar night with nothing. Um Okay, so Tom Jones, she plays Molly Seagram, who is the town wench, who literally has, like, six minutes of screen time, like, three of which are dominated by a a church fight. So she's got, like, three minutes where she's actually talking. Um, And she, again, plays the wench of the town, who seduces and sleeps with Jones and that's literally all she does. Um, let's talk about it. Let's talk about Tom Jones. Let's talk about Diane Salento, a very forgotten nominee. Mm-hmm. So I love a good town wench. Um, it's why I'm friends with you. Uh, <laughs> I think she does pretty well here. Um, she's not given a whole lot to do. She's not given a lot of screen time, but she has a, um, a nice presence whenever she is around. It's mostly in the beginning, if I remember correctly, in like the first uh-huh. quarter or third of the movie, and she kind of fades away. Uh, she has a very, a sort of feral alley cat energy to her, um, which shakes things up a little bit, considering how buttoned up and stuffy most of the other characters in this movie are. So she's able to stand out in that way. Um, I would say a lot of her performance is 
physical. Um, the way she moves, a lot of her reactions, um, facial gestures. Um, but uh, she's really not given a whole lot to do character-wise. When the movie's over, I'm not entirely sure who she is, aside from the reputation that she has here, uh, being sort of the, the village bicycle. Um, but she's perfectly okay, I guess. I'm not sure what else she could have done to really elevate it other than just be bigger. But that's not always the answer because sometimes that becomes a distraction. But in a movie like Tom Jones, I could have gone for a distraction. So she's all right. So fuck you, you shady bitch, number one. Um... Number two, I timed where Salento comes into this movie and where she leaves it because she is literally so sporadic for her six minutes. But a good chunk of that six minutes is one specific point of this movie. Like her very last scene, she doesn't even have any lines. She just like has this beautiful stare off with Susanna York. Like she's okay. So she comes into the movie exactly five minutes into the movie. And let's just talk about her accent. She's an Australian actress whose Australian accent doesn't even sound Australian. I'll just point that out. But, like, then she's playing this British woman. But, like, she literally, like, pops out of the field. Like, she's some whore Disney character just, like, coming out of a bush. Like, and she goes, Tam Jones. And I'm like, the fuck? (laughs) Like, (laughs) what? Like, literally, like, I... Anybody, please go watch it. She pops out, Tam Jones. <laughs> I'm like, what is going on? Like, I was instantly enamored with, with her, her, her voice here. Like, and she then, like, smokes she... 20 packs of Virginia Slims a day <laughs> right. in this time period. <laughs> right. Like, like, what is this voice? Like, it's so comedic when it's not supposed to be. And then, like, she backs up on this bench and she starts, like, taking off her clothes. And literally the way she... I'm not kidding, guys. Rewatch this movie. She goes, You make me laugh, Tom! <laughs> like, what? Like, and then they just start doing it in the bushes. And then, like, she shows up to, the, to this church and just, like, gets into this fight. And the church fight, then, is, like, literally 13 minutes into the movie. So we've already like forgotten about her pretty much and then this is like a good chunk for scenes and then she gets into this fight and then literally five minutes later is the last big chunk of her scenes before the final scene and she goes on this like rampage like you never got a hold of me tom how is this supposed to love you tom and i'm like whoa bitch like settle down like i can smell your breath through the screen like it's just it's all over the place her last scene comes at 55 minutes into the movie. So if she's got six minutes of screen time, it shows you how sporadic she is in this film. And literally she like does Tom, like she, this bitch shows up just like in horror field, just like <laughs> laying on the grass, just laying on the grass, ready to be plucked. And she's, she's <laughs> mind you, throughout the time that we've seen her last till now, Tom Jones like sparked this romance with Susanna York's character and just again pops up in Horfield and is like, <laughs> Tell me I'm wrong though. Like she comes out of nowhere and she's laying there just like rolling in, in, in the grass and she's like, 
we gotta do it, Tom. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck is going on? So then, like, Tom Jones automatically, somehow, these, like, townspeople know that Tom Jones is fucking in Whorefields with the wench of the town and, like, go to just beat him up. And, like, <laughs> Susanna York pops out of nowhere to, like, get his clothes. And then they're fucking, like, some cadaver sewer. And, like, she catches. Diane Salento getting dressed and Salento like gives her this look like bitch I wish you would and then that's it that's her role she's gone for the rest of the movie this movie is like almost what three hours long like it's ridiculous (laughs) I just cannot with this movie and I cannot with this performance oh my god (laughs) so she needs to go back to her home on Whore Island where she belongs um but this movie is actually only two hours and nine minutes, but it feels excruciatingly okay. long. Okay, that's what I mean. This is like, I thought it was three hours. This movie just is so fucking weird. And, and the fact that this is probably one of, if not my least favorite best picture winner of all time. Oh, yeah. It's a, it's a toward the bottom of the list for me. But <laughs> um, you want to know how I would have made Tom Jones better? Besides the fact just making a better movie. Not if, making it at all? Well, there's that. But if you were to recast uh, Diana Salento with Susan Tyrell. Oh, my God. How much better would it have been? <laughs> I just realized, too. She sounds like Roz from Monsters, Inc. Yeah, kind of. Wazowski. <laughs> You know the funny thing? Susan Tyrell wouldn't have even needed to do an accent. She could just do her fat city voice, and I would have been perfectly okay with it. Oh, God, this fucking movie. But you know what's so weird about it, too? How small of a role Salento has here and how brief it is. She has, like, top one of the top billings in this movie. Like, I wonder... She comes before... Um, Evans and Redmond on the poster, I believe. I wonder if it was alphabetical when know. it came to the, the supporting parts. I don't know. All I know is that this movie fucking sucks, and it just it's so hysterically bad. Like, it doesn't make any sense at all. Yes, it is uh, quite not good. Ah. <sighs> All right, I don't want to move on from Salento because it's just so funny talking about her, but um, we have to. Oh, no, I... Wait a minute. Okay, so this is actually... I'm looking at the poster now. I'm I'm mistaken. So it goes Albert Finney, Susanna York, Hugh Griffin, Edith Evans, Joan Greenwood. So Joyce Redman isn't even on it, but there's a specific area on the left side of the poster that says um, Diane Salento. Like She's literally credited ahead of Albert Finney, but by herself separately it's very weird Hmm. very weird um okay continuing with uh the women of tom jones we have joyce redmond in her first of two nominations we talked about her in (laughs) othello i love still your letterbox review by the way this movie gets two points one point for joyce redmond the other point for maggie smith um in tom jones she plays jenny jones and mrs waters which even after seeing this movie i don't understand that um where she shows up for a chicken dinner, has sex with some food, then almost has sex with, I guess, her son, and then almost dies 
uh, what, what's going on here? Um, so I was pretty confused uh, by this nomination. Um, so you said she wasn't even listed on the poster. Is that what you had said? Correct. So that kind of makes sense to me. Um, because honestly, I find her kind of forgettable in this movie. Uh, I mean, the, the food eating scene is really about it. Um, her like last bit there at the end, because I, I believe she, is she the only one who speaks directly to the camera besides Fanny? She looks at the camera. Yeah. So she's the only one who gets that opportunity, that sort of wink at the audience. So I guess in a way she kind of leaves a note on the audience when the credits roll or whatever. But other than that food scene, which is, you know, innuendo as fuck, like so far beyond symbolism that it's damn near literal food sex, there's not a whole lot to her as a character. Um, I mean, I ha I'd have to imagine that this scene was inspiration for the nine and a half week scene uh, with Mickey Rourke there in the 80s where they have their little food sex scene. I wouldn't mm -hmm. be surprised if this was um, a major influence on that, but that movie kind of takes it to another level. Uh, I mean, I guess that scene to really dive into it is really the only moment where I think she stands out. It's also kind of just a standout scene because it is weird how long that sequence goes on for where they're mm -hmm. like eating a chicken bone then eating a chicken bone and eating some fruit then eating some fruit and then sensually eating bread and then it's like it goes back and forth for a crazy amount of minutes like we get it we understand that you are showing a sex scene without showing a sex scene we fucking get it tom jones but the movie just keeps bashing you over the head with it and even though joyce redmond is pretty funny in that moment after a while i just kind of fade out because it kind of reaches a plateau after the first two minutes and i just kind of check out and that's uh, unfortunate for her um but then when she comes back in in the end i wouldn't say she's doing anything show-stopping in any way she's cute she's charming she has her her little wink at the camera moments um to show that I guess breaking the fourth wall is hereditary. I don't know what they were going for, but um, she's okay, I guess. Is she his mom? Is there like this incest thing now in this film? Like, I just, I am so confused. I've seen this movie and I clearly miss something, but it's hard to miss something because she really only has like three scenes. Now, mind you, keep in mind with Tom Jones, too, this is very interesting, and I really want to dive into this a little bit, about how this fucking campaign for this movie went. Because you have, you nominated Salento, who's literally only in the beginning of the film. You nominated Joyce Redmond, who is only in the last half hour of the movie. You nominated Edith Evans, who we'll get to next, who's right in the middle. So you have a woman in each section of this film. But it's like... And then you have Susanna York, who really is, you're going to nominate a supporting actress in this movie. Should have gone to her. Like... It's, I just don't get it. I don't get it. I don't get who Redmond was. I don't get this nomination. I just, I don't get this film. <laughs> Help me. Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope. Do you, do you know if Susanna York was campaign supporting? Because I was wondering throughout the film what she would have actually been campaigned as in real life. Because I, 
it seems like the type of role where she might have wanted to go lead being this sort of starlet of the moment, you know, in the way that we saw happening all the time in old Hollywood. So I wonder if, if she would have been nominated, if she would have actually popped up and lead. I don't know. You know who would know? Andrew Carden. You listen yes. to Patreon. You'll hear this. Um, Andrew, listen, do us a favor. If you, cause you always pull out these random FYC ads out of your ass. And I'm really interested when you get them. Can you let us know if where Dork was for Tom Jones? That would be greatly appreciated. We love you. Thank you. He knows. He knows. Um, I would like to also point out that I find this so odd that this is the only time, and Tom Jones is the only movie to ever pull three actress nominations in either category. Hmm. Can you hear the chainsaw in the background now? I got people doing yard work behind me. Awful. Not really. That's good. Um, but yeah, do you have anything else on Redmond before we move on to Edith Evans? Um, no, I think I'm all right. Uh, I'm sure we'll get back to it. This might surprise you, and this might answer maybe where York lost out here. Edith Evans as Miss Western and Tom Jones. This is her first of three nominations. We've talked about her before in that awful movie. What was it? I don't even remember where she was the lead and somehow uh, the whispers. Oh, God. Um, she is nominated at BAFTA for Best British Actress. So that was their lead category at the time. So keep that in mind. Um, in... Tom Jones, Edith Evans plays a bitty old woman in everyone's business. Um, again, that's pretty much it. Uh, Brandon, where, where do you stand here? So um, e Edith Evans is sort of the Margaret Rutherford of this movie for me. Um, I find her delightful. Um, it, whenever she's on screen, she's really the, probably maybe the only thing I like about Tom Jones. Um, I find her little side adventures pretty comical. Um, her overreactions to certain things and how determined she is to get her, is it her granddaughter or whatever, uh, wed to the right person. Um, you can kind of tell watching this movie that she was a bit of a treasure in the British, you know, theater and film world. Um, it's almost like they gave her this role and let her just kind of run wild with it. Um, I'm not sure how much direction she was given, if any, besides maybe her blocking, because it feels like she's really just in a world of her own. And I kind of dig that, um, considering how in a world of its own, Tom Jones is in, in mostly a bad way. She is doing it in a good way. Um, yeah, I really dig her here. It's a completely different performance than what we got in the whispers. Um, almost a complete 180 in terms of, you know, tone and execution and all that. So it's nice uh, getting uh, a little juxtaposition comparison, uh, the range of Edith Evans. Um, so yeah, she is, she is the standout to me in this movie. I will say she is way better in this than she is the whispers. Like by far. Um, we haven't talked about, and I haven't seen the Chalk Garden yet, um, her other nomination. Uh, would you agree with that sentiment, that she's way better? Um, I don't know about better. They are very different, and I want to give The Whispers another chance. I've only seen it once, and my complaints about it had more to do with the movie itself than Evan's performance. I think the movie sort of detracts from her performance sometimes. So I want to I go into it again. And really just zero in on her now that I know what the movie's about. 
But um, I will say they are very different. And I can see why some people would enjoy this one more so than The Whispers, which is very bleak. Gotcha. Well, I'm going to stick to it. I'm, I think this is a way better nomination for her than um, um, the other one. I can't even think anymore with this The Chalk Garden? Yeah. No, the other one. The, the Whispers. Oh. Help me. Please save me from this category. Um, I think she's having fun here. Um, I think it's a fun little role. I think out of the three ladies of Tom Jones, it's definitely the standout. Um, and I don't know if it's a good standout or bad standout, because again, I hate all these nominations, but I think she's having fun. Mm-hmm. I, I'll say that. Um, I just, I don't know. I just, <laughs> this movie is like just one of the worst. It is one of the worst. Yeah, Edith Evans is definitely having a ball with this movie. I know sometimes we have brought up on this show this idea of old lady shtick, mm. usually as a negative. But here, I think Edith Evans is really playing into it in the best of ways and really turning an otherwise really awful movie into something that's briefly enjoyable whenever she's on screen being her ridiculous self with her big old dresses and exaggerated makeup and mugging reactions. Um, I think she's really doing the most here, as the kids say. Yeah. <laughs> oh my God, this whole thing. Oh my God, okay. I'm, 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 I'm good. I've composed myself. We've made okay. it halfway through. We can transition into uh, four lead actresses and a supporting actress then. Okay. Oh, so. oh okay. Your nominees for Best Actress in a Leading Role were... Leslie Caron in the L-shaped room for her adroit study of a girl in technical difficulty. Shirley MacLaine in Irma La Douce, who allowed us a glimpse of the Late Late Show in Paris. Natalie Wood Let's start off with our winner for the year, Patricia Neal, winning for HUD. This is her first of two nominations and her only win. Going into this, she wins with the National Board of Review for Actress. That is their version of Lead Actress. And then she also receives um, the same award with the Nash, or, sorry, with the New York Film Critics Circle. She is nominated with BAFTA for Best Foreign Actress. And she is nominated at the Globes in the Supporting Uh, category. In HUD, Patricia Neal plays Alma Brown, the live-in housekeeper of Homer Bannon. So how do you feel about Patricia Neal in HUD? 
for the record, this is not Patricia Neal's fault that she is casted here, but this is a whitewashed role because mm-hmm. I found out that this character in HUD was written as a, uh, was it a, a black woman or a Mexican? A woman of color, put it pretty much. I can't remember if it was a black woman or a Mexican woman. I know it was one of the two. Um, so it's, I, I'm not blaming that on Neil. This was not her choice. and I, it, But I also will say, with that said, if she knew about it, she probably should have turned it down. That's just me. Now, here, she's fine, I guess. I mean, this was a win that was a... And it's funny that this happened again with Shirley McLean in this category because it happened a couple years earlier with Elizabeth Taylor, where she won because of a, a, a possible death scare. This was like uh, Patricia Neal almost pretty much died from a stroke in between filming and winning this Oscar. So it was like a pity vote um, because this movie, she's got a few great one liners, but it's like this. She's. She's got this scene that's kind of really freaky that's like she's almost raped by Paul Newman's character and she's really good in that scene and portraying like fear but it's just she's not doing anything. I don't like the movie. I don't like I don't love this performance. I don't you know and she's in the wrong category. She's such a clear support supporting character here. It's just I'm whatever. Yeah, um I I share a lot of your feelings. Um so I've read the novel um, Horsemen Pass By a while back. And I, if I remember correctly, the character is black. Um, they did cast a white woman here. I read that it was a studio decision due to the relationship between the Paul Newman character and um, the role Patricia Neal would go on to play. They didn't want to deal with the mixed race situation. So they cast a white woman instead, which, you know, is troublesome, uh, quite so. Uh, I think she's doing all right here. Um, she, uh, she's a character who knows her place, you could say, but at the same time doesn't have much difficulty standing up and speaking up when it's called upon her or when she feels as though it is necessary. Uh, she's given a few lines here and there, especially in the beginning, to really give us an understanding of who she is and how tough she is. Um, the rape scene that happens later on in the movie, um, it is definitely a rape scene. Uh, they sort of water it down as old Hollywood is wont to do and um, made it a little bit more ambiguous. But from what I recall in the original story, it is clearly a rape scene, um, but I'm trying to remember if I think those characters, if they hadn't been together physically already, they were pretty flirtatious. Um, that does not excuse um, the brutal um, actions that HUD takes, but um, mm. there, there is already a pre-existing relationship, if I recall, of some nature, and then he takes it to a very barbaric next level and um patricia neal i think uh really sells this moment here as best as she can given the limited nature of what they were able to show of what they were comfortable with showing in this movie because uh, you really 
feel for her. She's truly in danger in this moment, despite how tough as nails she has shown she can be. She's in a very uh, horrible situation. So I think she is giving a pretty solid performance here uh, with what she's able to work with. But um, I agree, she does not belong in this category. I think she would have been perfectly suited for a supporting actress nomination. Because I think she still would have won. I I honestly believe she still would have won, yeah. Um, I think it was going to her regardless. Uh, But, you know, ego and the way things went back then, a lot of people decided to go category fraud in the opposite direction than they do now, which is kind of funny. Um, But Patricia Neal does do some pretty interesting stuff here. I would be very curious to see um, a version of this movie that is more in line with the novel, with what it was able to show, and casting um, the appropriate actress for this part. Because another interesting dynamic between those characters is the power structure between them. And given the time and place, race plays into that. So... um, I think it's unfortunate that Neil was cast here for that reason. Again, that's not necessarily her fault. I'm not sure if she knew um, that it was a whitewashing. Um, of course, even if she knew, she might have done it anyway. She might not have cared. But um, performance-wise, I think she's doing pretty well with what this movie was willing to give her. Yeah. Ah. <sighs> Anything else on Neil? Nope. Oh, I will say I do like her nomination better in The Subject Was Roses. I think she does way better work there. Mm-hmm. We, yeah, she's pretty good there, too. One. Yes. Uh, next, we have Leslie Caron, nominated for The L-Shaped Room. This is her second of two nominations. And going into this, she wins the Golden Globe and she wins a BAFTA. Now, BAFTA and the Oscars didn't exactly overlap like they do now. So we're going to have another actress in this lineup who also wins the BAFTA, but technically in different BAFTA seasons. But um, she wins it here. And she's also nominated with the New York Film Critics Circle. In the L-shaped room, uh, she plays Jane, a single pregnant woman who moves into a seedy boarding house and befriends the other misfits who live there. So how do you feel about Leslie Caron in the L-shaped room? So going into this, I knew that she won Precursor. So I was like, oh, she had to have been really, really good here. First of all, this movie is so boring. Um, Second of all, gross. If I found that money bugs, I would have been moving out that bitch so quick. And then the idea that she could literally just be spied on through the window. I don't know. This whole movie's fucking weird. Um, it, I mean, I get like the, the, like the type of material it took on at that time with like unwed women who are uh, pregnant and yada, yada, yada. But it's like, I don't know. When you have a film like Georgie Girl who did the same thing, but like way better. I think Georgie Girl was like a year or two or three after this movie. I don't know. It's just... <laughs> This is such an odd film. It's such an odd nomination. I don't feel for this character. I don't care about this character. I'm just like, if I care more about how like how much longer is in this movie to fucking watch, you're doing nothing for me to save the movie, to save anything. It's just, it's fucking weird. 
Yeah, so um, this movie is definitely in the school of neorealism that was really popular in this period of filmmaking, especially in Europe. There's this very um, anti-Hollywood approach to telling it. It's not exactly sensational in any moment or exaggerated or played up for dramatics for dramatics sake. It tries as best it can to be authentic. So um, I will admit that it took a while for me to get on board with the movie because it is sort of in that very natural style of storytelling. Uh, so it didn't quite grab me immediately, but um, overall it did win me over. Um, I think the, the gross nature of the boarding house where she is and the fact that she does not leave speaks to just how trapped she is in this society as a single pregnant woman with very few options. Um, so yeah, I agree that it was gross as hell and it's, you know, it's easy to say, oh, I'd get the fuck out of there. But um, given the time period and her situation, um, I think it speaks to her character and how, how little options she had. Um, she gives a very, I think, true performance here. It feels very authentic in the way that the movie itself is also trying to capture the story. She and the film seem to be um, in line with each other in that regard. Um, this is a movie that doesn't hold back quite as much as another movie dealing with the subject of pregnancy and abortion that we'll get to in a little bit. Um, this movie really, at times, wears its truth on its sleeve and I don't think that's a bad thing. I think that's actually pretty admirable for this time period. Um, I'd imagine in Europe they were able to get away with a little bit more than they were in the States. I don't think things were quite as commercial over there. So um, I think they had some leeway in that regard. But um, Leslie Caron I think is doing quite well um, in a role that doesn't necessarily have any Oscar moments. It's just a through and through authentic performance from beginning to end that I think shows a lot of the ups and downs of being an outsider, being someone with very little power and finding your place among the rest of the others and um, finding that camaraderie in being someone who was once a loner. So um, when this movie was over, it had eventually, it had by then won me over. And um, I think Caron is doing pretty well um, with the performance. Um, I will say that if you look at this in the, in, in the eyes of 2020, where precursors play a big part into the Oscar win, out of all the nominees, out of the five here in lead, it's really shocking to me that she is she was really the front runner. Mm -hmm. That took well, me by surprise. Looking there, at the five as a whole, that took me by surprise. Well, there were fewer precursors back then, and she and another actress in this lineup both take BAFTA, but in different years. So it'd be interesting to see which one of them would have triumphed if they had both been in the same lineup. So. Um, yeah, it's very interesting to look at it through the lens of precursors back then, because it would mm -hmm. it would imply that she was the front runner, um, given what else everyone in this lineup won. 
Yeah. Um, would you have nominated anyone else in this movie? No. Because there was a couple of supporting <laughs> parts that I really liked in this movie. Um, I think Brock Peters is really good in this movie. I did not know that he was in it until I started watching it. And I was like, I had a moment where I was like, is that Brock Peters in this British drama? And sure as hell it was. And I think he does a very fine job playing a queer black man in England. And I think it would have been really cool to see a nomination there. It would have been pretty historic in its own way. And um, another person that I really liked in this movie was um, Cicely Court Courtnage. Oh, I can't read it. I have to look look up how to actually spell it. But she plays the, um, yeah, Cicely Courtnage or something like that. She plays the old lonely lesbian uh, whose lover is Oh, just, yeah. She and Leslie Caron have that moment where she's, where, um, uh, Mavis is her name, is telling the story of her lover, and Leslie has this moment where she asks a follow-up question using a masculine pronoun, and uh, Mavis has this moment where I don't remember if they say it out loud, but it becomes pretty clear that she's talking about a forbidden lesbian love affair, and there's a very heavy melancholy in the air during that moment, and... Um, it's a supporting part that doesn't have a huge presence in the film, but that scene really stuck out to me. And um, given what the supporting lineup is in real life, I wouldn't have minded if she had been nominated in someone else's place. Um, I just remember Brock from To Kill a Mockingbird and how we talked about like that should have been a nomination for him. Um, but I like oh, this. You... Yeah. Same, same guy. Yeah. I like that. Uh, I like that you pointed that out. Yeah, I don't know. I just think this. Whole, like I said, like I said it numerous times. This whole year just really rubbed me the wrong way. So, I really was only focused on getting through watching Corona and not really anyone else. So, yeah, I knew yeah. that Brock Peters was the guy from To Kill a Mockingbird. I just had a moment where I couldn't remember if To Kill a Mockingbird was this year or not, but it was the previous year. So it'd be really cool if he had two back-to-back -back nominations for those movies. Which yeah. he was denied for both of them, but I think they would have been worthy back-to-back -back nominations. Yeah. Uh, next, we have Shirley MacLaine nominated for Irma LaDuce. This is her third of five nominations um, total. Uh, well, she has six nominations, but one is for documentary. Um, going into this, she wins the Golden Globe for comedy musical, um, and she is nominated with BAFTA. In this film, Shirley plays Irma a prostitute who befriends a former police officer who then tries to save her from the streets. So how do you feel about Shirley MacLaine in Irma LaDuce? Don't stop calling it LaDuce. <laughs> I don't know how to pronounce it. LaDuce. Is it Deuce? Uh, yeah, it's uh, LaDuce. LaDuce is French. Um, I thought you were saying it like, what was that, uh, Elizabeth Colin? <laughs> what, what was that one? Elizabeth Colin, The Golden Age? Yes, God. Uh, um, okay, so here's the thing. I have a couple feelings about this movie. Number one, it's way too goddamn long. Way too goddamn long. This movie, like Tom Jones, goes all over the place. It doesn't really make any sense. I don't understand why all these American people with American accents are living in Paris. And, like, it just doesn't make any fucking sense. Number two, 
the, I don't know who tricked Shirley McLean into wearing green screen colored tights and colors and just like all over the place. It just doesn't work for me whatsoever. Um, number three. No, wait, no, I don't even know what number one. Jack Lemon is really, really bad in this movie and until he's undercover as that other dude. Like he, he's really good there. Everywhere else, it's just a mess. This movie is just a mess. Now, getting to Shirley MacLaine, she's fine. She's campy. She's whatever. This is just bottom barrel Shirley MacLaine, though. This is like, uh, it's fine. I don't know. I don't fucking know. Do you want to know who stood out to me? And I was very surprised you didn't get a supporting actor nomination. It's the guy who played Mustache. Because this, that type of role was the type of supporting roles that in the 50s and 60s, the Academy ate up. So if you're going to nominate someone from this film, it should have been the guy who played Mustache. Um... I love the bar fight moment in this movie, um, but this is just, this is also a choice. What about you? Yeah, um, Irma Laduce is way too long. <laughs> um, it is ungodly long, and it really does not need to be. Like, it went on and on forever, and I was repeatedly cursing Billy Wilder's name, which never happens. Um, Shirley is doing fine um she's all personality and not much else um that's not all shirley's fault i think that's just the way this character is written there's not a whole lot of substance to her it's just um a lot of energy and charm and all that which is not really enough for me personally as a viewer um She's fine. She has a lot of her little Shirley MacLaine delivery signature isms that, you know, we'd go on to see in other Shirley MacLaine films that we had seen, you know, leading up to this and a few things. But um, overall, I think she's doing an adequate job in a pretty, I'm going to say a bad movie. I don't think Irma is that good um, as a film. It's... um. It, it leaves a lot to be desired. And unfortunately, Shirley does not exactly elevate it for me. Um, we've seen better from her. We've seen a lot better from her. Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, um, it's, a, it's an interesting movie considering how every woman, I think, is a prostitute. Uh, the color <laughs> scheme is very technicolor. Um, I don't know. It makes me wonder how it would have played out on stage. I wonder, if it, was, just, I wonder if it was conceived that way. I just don't understand all these American accents in this movie that takes place in Paris. Like, it's like no one tried. Not a single person has a French accent in this movie. It I doesn't almost, make sense. I almost don't mind that. I would have more of a problem with it if someone did try. Because to not try is a choice to just say, fuck it, we're just gonna be set in Paris and we're just gonna act as if it was set in New York or whatever, like, I don't know. I'd rather it be that way than people try and fail or have some of them do French and some not. Wait, it's... what was... <laughs> what? What was the dog's name? Do you remember the dog? Oh, hmm. It I was remember... a strange name, I just can't remember what it was. Look it up really quick. Yeah, I don't recall, but, um. 
for some reason, I didn't mind that no one was doing an accent. I kind of, it kind of just worked for me in this weird old Hollywood, none of this is real anyway, so fuck it, kind of version of suspension of disbelief. I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> Do you know who, who would have made a great Irma LaDuce? Hmm. Diane Talento. Hey, Lord Ash. Sure. Fucking oh god, help me get me out of this fucking episode. You know who would have been fun is um I know this isn't one of my go-tos, but Christine Baranski would have been really fun in this role. Karen Black. Karen Black. Sharon Stone. <laughs> Madeline Kahn. Literally anyone. <laughs> Give us anybody. Not but... that not that Shirley McLean deserves to be replaced, but literally anyone could have done this and it would have been equally fine <laughs> just different levels of entertaining give us a barbara stanwick how old would she have been at this point oh geez uh 60 something yeah she could have done it why not yeah well uh next we have rachel roberts nominated for this sporting life this is her only nomination, and going into this, she is the other actress who wins a BAFTA, but in a different season, and she is recognized with the Golden Globes. In This Sporting Life, Rachel Roberts plays Mrs. Hammond, a landlady to a rugby player who constantly attempts to woo her, but she's hesitant due to his brutal nature and the fact that she is a widow still kind of, sort of, in mourning. So how do you feel about Rachel Roberts in this sporting life? Okay, number one, I was very, very surprised going into this category that you only mentioned one category fraud lady because holy fuck, is she not a lead here? That is number one. Number two, and I'll get into that number in this second. Number two, what a homoerotic movie. Like, I could not, I was expecting like full-on gay sex scenes at some point, like in, in, during parts of this movie because it is so homoerotic. Number three, I cannot believe that this piece of shit movie is such considered a Criterion classic. Although I have my thoughts on the Criterion collection. That's a whole other story. Or that's a whole other episode. But um, I, I literally finally finished this movie last night. And I think I texted you first about it three weeks ago. It took me up over the point of three weeks, but a total of, I counted eight days to watch this movie. Because I was so bored with this movie that I would watch it in like 10 to 12 minute increments and I just had to stop and do something else and I didn't care I almost did not finish this but I was like you know I haven't not not watched like something in full yet I'm not gonna start now but like she's got nothing to do here she has one scene where she kind of gets the shit beat out of her by Dumbledore and it is she's great there because she, she's like really showing pain and like her getting beat up, but like she's got nothing to do here. There's not like she's so sparingly sprinkled out in this movie. I think she's got like, according to Screen Time Central, I think they said like 20 minutes of screen time here. So she is so barely used in this movie. And then she randomly dies out of nowhere. And the biggest fucking spider I've ever seen is just punched to death on the wall. I don't know. This is this movie's a mess. This nominee is a mess. This year is a mess. I'm a mess. Help me. <laughs> um, so I'm on the fence with her category placement. Patricia Neal is a much more egregious case of fraud. Um, I think 
there's an argument to be made that she could be considered a lead, but um, I don't know. I go back and forth on it. Uh, I think she has a little bit more to do than you're giving her credit for. The character is largely a mood and a presence here and um, reactive to what the Richard Harris um, character is doing. But I, this is a character who I think has a lot more going on internally than meets the eye. It's also really difficult to really pinpoint it when you have someone like Richard Harris who is so big and shouting and throwing things and all kinds of nonsense. But I think if you really pay attention to what she's doing, there's there's a lot going on that's not immediately apparent. Um, she also is a character sort of like the Patricia Neal part that has a way of standing her own when she's going up against someone who is so threatening in the way that um, Richard Harris is in this movie. I mean, he could snap at any moment, and he often does, but she doesn't seem to blink very often when she's in his presence. Like, his chaotic nature doesn't really seem to phase her. And I'm not sure if that's because she is just kind of numb at this point when we first meet her, or if she has just been through so much that nothing else seems to phase her. But I think she is doing a little bit more than it looks like she's doing. Um, I can understand why um, she ought to be in supporting. I can also understand why she's in lead. It's a it's one that really rides the line. Um, and I'm just kind of taking it for what it is right now. I guess I'll decide in a few minutes how I feel when we get to rankings. But I guess when I watched it, I was fine with it. But um, I think she is doing some pretty decent work here in a role that's hard to stand out when your co-star is someone as big as Richard Harris is. It reminds me a little bit of Nicolas Cage and Elizabeth Shue in Leaving Las Vegas and the two different styles of acting going on in that movie. But um, yeah, this movie is also super gay, as you were saying. Uh, Lindsay Anderson um, was a closeted man, the guy who directed this. I don't know if he was ever out in his lifetime, but it's known within certain circles that he was gay. Um, this is definitely not his only gay movie. I recommend checking out If with Malcolm McDowell. That movie is super fucking gay. Uh, that was, I think, my first Lindsay Anderson movie. Um, yeah, definitely check out his work. He, uh, he has some very interesting films. Um, this one is another sort of neo-realist kitchen sink sort of drama that um very similar to the l-shaped room but unlike the l-shaped room this one gives us a very oscar chewy performance in rachel roberts co-star but um i think she is also doing some really intricate work here even if it even if she gets overshadowed at times due to the nature of these characters I had a feeling you might see her on the line or lead. So I'm just going to say this. And then obviously, like you said, you'll decide. Um, if going back to our pilot episode, you can't 
because remember when I brought up that I asked, do you think Karen Black is a lead in Five Easy Pieces? And you said not necessarily, she doesn't have, she may be the female lead, but she's not the lead. Karen has more screen time, does more, and is a bigger part to the story in Five Easy Pieces. But you look at her supporting. So I'm not, I'm just going to say that. I, I had this prepared just in case you brought that up. Um, and she's got a lot more to do in Five Easy than Roberts does here. So if that helps you, or maybe you see it now the way I see it, just I just wanted to bring that up. No, it doesn't really change anything. Oh, um, okay. <laughs> they're two different movies, and the characters are very different in the way they function and the way they contribute to the overall story. Um, yeah, just because Karen Black might have more to show us on screen or might have more time on screen thanks to the stopwatch people doesn't mean that Rachel Roberts is doing any less to me. So I, I kind of take movies on a case-by-case -case basis. And for he here, um, she might not be the true lead in the way that Richard Harris is, but she might be doing a little bit more than your average supporting part. So that's why I'm not entirely sure. Um, yeah, she's... I, she's still on the fence for me. Well, fuck my drag, right? Um, anything else on Rachel Roberts? Oh, come on. You can't leave that uncommented. That was a good drag race reference. Yeah, I wasn't sure how to comment. That's fine. We'll just move on. <laughs> well, um, our last uh, lead actress is Natalie Wood, nominated for Love with a Proper Stranger. This is her third of three nominations. Uh, she does not win anything major going into this, but she's recognized with the Golden Globes. In Love with a Proper Stranger, Natalie Wood plays Angie, a pregnant sales clerk at Macy's who tracks down her one night stand to help her find a doctor, AKA help her pay for her abortion in uh, Hollywood speak. So how do you feel about Natalie Wood in Love with a Proper Stranger? So I didn't know anything about this movie going into it. And I honestly was in some weird way expecting this to kind of be like Lovers and Other Strangers from 1970 with B. Arthur and Richard Castellano, et cetera, et cetera. And I was completely shook in the way of how serious this movie was um, because it's not something that I expected at all. Um, I don't know. Again, I, I think I expected something to be like, like the film I just mentioned. Um, this was super heavy. The Oscars this year had a, had a thing for the English and abortions. Um, and I, it's, it's a very bleak look into the American version of the L-shaped room in a way. Um, it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a film, but it's a, I, I just, I don't know. I like, Wood, I don't think is giving her best here. I mean, I think we've seen her in better things, even in films she wasn't nominated for. Like, she's better in West Side Story, and she's better in Bob and Ted and Carol and Alice. So it's... I find it a little tragic, to be honest, that this was her last of her nominees, or nominations before she died. Um, I mean, even looking at her other two with, like, Rebel Without a Cause and Splendor in the Grass, I've never seen those films, and I can guarantee she's probably better in those than she is here. Um... It's Natalie Wood, but not Natalie Wood's finest moment. So it's whatever. What about you? I'd be really curious to see um, what Natalie Wood would have done with a part like this if 
um, filmmaking in America had the more liberal approach that it took about 10 years later. Mm -hmm. um, if This movie is pretty buttoned up, more so than I think it lets on. It waters down a lot of things, and a lot of it has to be played for subtlety in a way that I don't think services the film or the performances in them. Uh, Natalie Wood, I think, is doing pretty well here, playing with what she's allowed to present. But you can kind of tell watching it, especially through the lens of 2020, that she is quite limited in her approach to telling this story and living this character's life, which is really unfortunate. Um, you can kind of see the eventual break from this from Hollywood studio that we're getting here. I, I think it had already begun, but it hadn't quite reached the point that it would in the next decade. Because um, we're getting this movie with a very serious topic that weirdly halfway through becomes like a romantic comedy and takes this really strange tonal shift and then somehow kind of sort of circles back to its serious nature and then ends on this really weird note that kind of left a sour taste in my mouth where the Steve McQueen character kind of decides that if he publicly pesters her enough, she will eventually submit and marry him. It's a very weird note to end the story on. But Natalie Wood, I think, is finding some very interesting moments in this story that I think is too afraid of being honest with itself. And I think you can kind of tell that she, as a performer, really wants to go there. But due to the time period, that wasn't exactly an option for her. So they had to play with these sort of, with this coded language and um, watered down behaviors. So um, I wish Natalie Portman were in a movie that um, deserved her because I think this movie has a lot of potential and Natalie, Port or, I say Portman, Natalie Wood has a lot of potential that um, is unfortunately not being lived up to. I, um, yeah, I could see, I could see where you're at. Now I'm going to ask you this question. Is there anyone else you would have nominated from this film? Um, I'm okay with no one else being nominated. I don't recall anyone really standing out to me in that way. Uh, okay. So I don't know if I would have nominated, but I really think that her, her mother role was also mm. one of those supporting roles that like in the fifties and sixties would have been gobbled up as supporting, but like, like mustache in Irma LaDuce, it's very odd to me that at this time period, they weren't. It makes sense to me how someone in that role could have been nominated in another year. Yeah. Um, I suppose it didn't stick out to me personally, but looking at things the way they sometimes work out back then, I could see how that role could have um, snuck into that lineup. Yeah. Well, anything else? Um, I don't think so. Uh, shall we get to our rankings then? Let's do it. As a recap, your supporting ladies of 63 were Margaret Rutherford, who won for the VIPs, uh, Edith Evans, Diane Salento, and Joyce Redman, all for Tom Jones, and Lilia Scala for Lilies of the Field. I'm giving fifth spot to Lilia Scala, mainly because I find this to be a category fraud performance. 
Um, I don't find her the supporting. I definitely look at her as the lead here. Um, so, yeah, she's number five for me. I'm also giving it to Scala. Uh, the movie just doesn't do a whole lot for me, and she doesn't elevate it in any way, and she never really steals any moments for me in a way that I can say the other four occasionally do. <laughs> so um, Scala is also my number five for Lilies of the Field. Number four is going to Margaret Rutherford here. This is just baffling that out of the five ladies here, despite my personal feelings for this lineup, that she won this. She literally doesn't do anything here. Um, not that really anyone does in this category. Maybe Scala does the most, but still... Um, yeah, Rutherford's got to go forward. This is just a head scratching, a head scratcher of a win. Uh, Diane Salento is my number four for Tom Jones. Um, it's a performance that doesn't really do a whole lot for me. And when the movie's over, um, I very easily have forgotten it by that point. So she doesn't stand out that much. Um, so Diane Salento is number four for Tom Jones for me. Well, I've got the three Tom Jones ladies left. <laughs> And despite my hatred for Tom Jones, I think, like, and take this with a grain of salt, they are the best thing about Tom Jones. But even with that said, number three, I'm giving it to Edith Evans. Um, I think she's way better, like I said, here than in The Whispers. Um, but the other two are so ridiculous that they stand out to me the most in this whole lineup. So I have to give Edith Evans number three. My number three goes to Joyce Redman, who is perfectly fine in her role, but um, again, doesn't really stand out to me. Um, I mean, that scene with the food stands out as a scene, but that's just weird direction. I'm not sure if that's really Redman um, doing anything um, spectacular. So um, Redman is a solid number three for me in this lineup. So I'm left with Diane Salento and Joyce Redman. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say this before I tell, say who either one of these, this winner is going to be. Had these ladies won, they still wouldn't have been one of the best wins ever. Um, I think both are just so opposite end of the spectrum, ridiculous in such a ridiculous movie. Um, but they stand out the most in this lineup. But with that said, I'm giving the runner-up to Joyce Redmond, which means I'm giving Diane Salento the win here. Red, let me start with Redmond, obviously. Redmond is not great here. Um, the sex food scene is literally the most memorable thing of the movie. Salento, though, is ridiculous. She is so bad in this movie that she's good. Um, that accent work is just awful as i've commented before um as the other town wench looking at the town like myself looking in the town wench role here it's like i feel like connected to her no um but no like salento is like the thing i remember the most about tom jones when i watch it and i honestly like if i ever want to rewatch this movie i will only rewatch it for her scenes because she's so over the top. I just think she's a lot of fun, despite how bad she is. And it's the only thing I like about Tom Jones is Salento. So, you know what? I'm going to give Diane Salento, the very forgotten Oscar nominee, the win here. Margaret Rutherford's my runner-up for the VIPs. Uh, she manages to make a pretty terrible movie all right from time to time. 
And, uh, you know, she has some pretty fun little moments uh, with her one-liners and her big reactions. But um, Edith Evans is on a bit of another level for me in Tom Jones. She's a more fully realized character than I think the other uh, nominees in this lineup are. And um, I think she gives a wonderful performance. And it's the one that I am least likely to forget when Tom Jones is over. So Edith Evans gets my win for Tom Jones. Well, we were both wrong on our guesses. Yeah. So um, your lead actress nominees, as a reminder, were Patricia Neal in HUD, Leslie Caron for The L-Shaped Room, Shirley MacLaine for Irma LaDuce, Rachel Roberts for The Sporting Life, and Natalie Wood for Love with the Proper Stranger. Uh, Patricia Neal is um, definitely not... uh, she should not be in this category. So even though she's doing some pretty some pretty neat stuff in HUD, um, she shouldn't be here. So Patricia Neal is uh, my fifth place for HUD. My number five between the two categories for our ladies is going to be Rachel Roberts. She literally does nothing here. Um, I don't understand this nominee. Um, and like I said, between the two, she's my least favorite. So I got to go Roberts. Um, my number four goes to Shirley MacLaine um, for Irma. I think she's lovely in it. She has a lot of character, a lot of charm. She's, you know, Shirley MacLaine through and through. But there's not a whole lot of depth to this character. And um, she didn't exactly keep me along for the ride for this very long ride. So Shirley MacLaine's number four for Irma for me. Number four is going to go to the other fraud lady in this category, Patricia Neal. I do like her performance more than Roberts, but yeah, she's got to go with four. I've been going back and forth on my two and three, um, but I think I'm going to put Natalie Wood at number three for Love with a Proper Stranger. I think she has a whole lot of talent and a whole lot of passion for this character. It's too bad that the movie's really holding her back. Um, I have to wonder if this movie had, say, been made with the lack of restrictions that her European counterparts seem to have in their films, if she would have been able to do something um, a little bit more interesting, a little bit more unbound by convention. Um, But as good as she is, and as much as I can kind of see on screen how much she really wants to tell the story, um, she's really being held back by her film. So Natalie Wood is my number two for Love with a Proper Stranger. I gotta say I'm shocked that you don't have Wood or it hasn't come between Wood or McLean from you. I was not expecting that, so throw me for a little bit of a loop. Um, number three is Caron, uh, Miss Leslie Caron. Um, a uh, possible winner here is baffling to me, but this again, this whole year is baffling. She's, I, I gotta push somewhere, so I guess three is fine. My runner-up is Rachel Roberts for The Sporting Life. Um, I'm okay with her being in this lineup. It's possible. Um, that uh, in the past, when we were recording our our first season, I would have maybe disqualified her. But um, the Oscars aren't exactly a science. And um, there's some other people who I've disqualified who I'd say fuck it and not if we were to record it today. Um, But I definitely see the argument for why she is um, secondary to the Richard Harris part. But she has enough to do in this movie where I feel like it's okay that she is that she can lean a little bit more lead. Uh, she has a little bit more presence, and she's a little bit more of a fully rounded character than um, 
some other supporting parts, but um, Leslie Caron is my winner here at the L-shaped room. Um, she is, you know, a true lead here in the L-shaped room, and she gives a very authentic performance. Uh, it doesn't ever really feel phony to me in any way, and I kind of like that she doesn't exactly chew on scenery or shout that she is, you know, deserving of an Oscar with any particular moment. And anytime she is having, you know, a very serious uh, moment, it feels true to life. And uh, she's not afraid to let those moments be quiet. So um, Leslie Caron is my winner for the L-shaped room. All right. Well, I'm giving the runner-up this year to Shirley MacLaine, which means I'm giving Natalie Wood the win here. Um, MacLaine is fine um, in a horrible, horribly long movie. Um, that really isn't doing it any favors, but when your co-star, again, I don't mean to bring him up again, but when Mustache makes a bigger impression on me than your titular role character, there's something wrong. Natalie Wood is not great here, but out of this lineup, I think she's my favorite because it's so, from what I've seen of Natalie Wood's work, left field. Um, and I don't, like I said, I haven't seen her other two nominations yet, so I don't know if I would ever give her the wins and... I guess this is just like I kind of want to give Natalie Wood a win somewhere type of win. So, yeah, I give it to Wood for lead and Diane Salento for supporting. Yeah, I'm going Leslie Caron for lead and Edith Evans for supporting. Hey, at least we gave Tom Jones a win somewhere. Yeah. Oh, my God. All right. Well, we made it through one of the worst years ever. Oh, my God. It's almost as bad as 2020. Oh, my God. This whole, I cannot believe this one all i wanted to do was talk about tom jones and i did not expect this whole whole category whole year to be just terrible Mm -hmm. but um thus far patrons because you guys will hear this in two days um you have 1966 winning for next month so if you haven't voted yet which there are many of you who haven't go vote Mm -hmm. because it's between 66 and 39 right now so we shall see. We shall see. Yes. But uh, anything else? No, I think that about covers it. Uh, I think we can um, go bury this year in the backyard. <laughs> I'm going to go bury it in Whore Meadows. Yes. Uh, all right. Take us away. All right. Well, this has been 1963. I am Brandon Stanwick. And I am bored as fuck. And on the count of three, we will say adieu. One, two, three. Adieu. Adieu.